You may have heard it reported this last month or so that Mr. Hefner has decided to redo his publication so that no longer are his models going to appear in their birthday suits. Now, before you get excited, you say, yes, the, the, the good side finally won the battle. Things are finally changing. Someone has made a tremendous change in attitude. Their morality is beginning to change. Before we can rejoice, it's not because morality has improved, but purely economic reasons. Mr. Hefner says, the reality is there are so many things available for free online, in the, on the internet, and so many other places, I can't make any money. So I'm going to let everyone read the articles. What does this say about our society? That things have declined so far that no longer is that publication able to make any money because it's too tame. When Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, as we've been studying this book of 1 Thessalonians, He's writing to people in a context where immorality was so pervasive that these new Christians needed to be taught how they were to live differently from the world. Sometimes we think about our culture and our society and we say things are so bad, they're so far gone, we're so immoral. But the reality is, is that there have been times in different places, in different countries, in a world where immorality has been just as bad or worse than it is in the United States today. And so when Paul's writing to these Christians, here's how your life needs to change. As, as new Christians, his message is relevant for us as well. He writes to them in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 12 about how their lives as Christians need to change as they practice sanctification, living a sanctified life. What does that mean? That's a big, long, religious word that we often hear used, but maybe we misunderstand. So this morning we want to look at what Paul tells the church at Thessalonica. What does it mean to be sanctified? How can our lives be changed? And we want to think about what that means for us as Christians in the United States in the 21st century. So if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the first few verses. As we think about, first of all, the principle of sanctification. What does this mean? Let's understand the difficulty in Greece. In Greece, in the first century, under the Romans... Society was what was such that immorality was somewhat pervasive. The Greek philosopher, orator, rhetorician Demosthenes is reported to have written about 350 BC. We have escorts to give us pleasure, handmaidens to keep us clean, and wives to bear children and keep the house in good order. 
Now, there are some scholars that point out much of what we know of Greek society comes from the writing of the Greek philosophers, the intellectual upper echelon of society, and that maybe there was a standard for that segment of society that maybe the rest of society didn't necessarily follow. And yet I'm compelled as we listen to the words of Demosthenes here and other philosophers and the way they speak, Plato and Aristotle and some of the others, that if that's how the upper crust be believed and behaved, that, that certainly other stratums of society would have been influenced by that lifestyle, by what was considered acceptable and moral. And so Demosthenes explains that this is acceptable, this is expected, this is how we are to live. There's nothing wrong with this. And that would have been a view of society. And granted, 350 BC is, well, 350 years before, almost 400 years before, Paul writes here to the church at Thessalonica, Still, that was the underlying value of society in that part of the world at that time. Things were so bad that Augustine, or, or Caesar Augustus rather, in 18 BC, changed the laws to strengthen marriage. Now, his concern wasn't because he had read men are from Venus and or women are from Venus and men are from Mars. He hadn't been reading marriage counseling books. His concern was making sure that, th that Rome had enough legitimate sons to stop the army. And so he said, we need to strengthen the family so that we have more legitimate children who can serve in the military and can serve in the senatorial and equestrian classes. And so that was his concern. But what his law said was to strengthen marriage it was that a woman should not have an affair, should not have a relationship outside of marriage. And that she needed to be faithful to her husband. But it was expected that the husband could do whatever he wanted. And have whatever relationships he wanted to have on the side. And so that was the standard of society. And it's within that mindset, that mentality, that Paul's writing to the Christians at Thessalonica. It was almost expected that a man would have someone on the side to take care of whatever needs he felt he needed to take care of. And within that framework and mindset, this is what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And let no one transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. 
For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so as Paul writes these, Christ, these Christians in Thessalonica, living in this great culture in, in which immorality was pervasive and expected and considered acceptable, Paul says, I want you to know, church, that God has different expectations for us. God wants us to live in a sanctified manner. Now the question for us is, what does it mean to be sanctified? What does sanctification mean? What does holiness mean? And many of you have heard me preach similar topics on, on, on different passages before where we've talked about this. And so remember that sanctification, or to sanctify, means to set aside for a special purpose. And so what Paul is saying is, God has set you aside for a special purpose. He has set you aside, aside as something unique. God has something in mind for you. Kind of like Jay was talking about in class this morning. God has a purpose for us. God has a use for us. And Paul says it doesn't matter where you were before, but now that you've become Christians, know that God has set you aside. God considers you to be special, unique. And Paul says, but I want you to know, as I'm writing to you, Thessalonians, that it's not just that God has set you aside as something special. He says, but I want you to know specifically what I have in mind as I write you, is that you need to avoid sexual immorality. And that you know how to use your <coughs> vessel. Several times in the New Testament, Paul uses the Greek word translated vessel here to refer to our bodies. Romans chapter 6, he writes to Timothy about vessels. And so several times he talks about vessels as analogous for our bodies. A vessel, a, a dish, a tray of some sort. Something you would have in your house. And Paul says, that's your body. Use it for God. Now sometimes there are, you may read the Revised Standard Version, and there are some translations, just one or two, not very many, that translates vessel as wife. Because there's one or two Jewish writings that were written after the first century where rabbis sometimes referred to their wives as a vessel. And so some people think, well, he's talking about your wives. You need to know how to control your wives. But most scholars, most translators understand this to be talking about body. We've never seen Paul, any other passage in the New Testament, refer to a wife as a vessel. He's not talking about control your wife. He's talking about control yourself. Most women I know don't have this issue. It's the other way around, right? And so Paul says you need to know how to control your own body. 
It was a difficult thing for these Christians to get in their mind because they've been raised up all their lives. This is okay. This is acceptable to behave this way. It's expected that a man's going to, as long as he has the means to pay for it, have some things on the side. And Paul says you, you need to change your thinking and realize that God wants to use you as something special for a unique purpose. And so because of that, you've got, to, you, you've, got, you've got to change the way that you live your life and not use your body for immoral purposes. And then he says, as we look down through the passage here, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or transgress his brother or defraud his brother. These two terms, transgress, means to step over in a violent manner to outwit or take advantage of through cunning is the idea of defraud. And so how would this be possible in a intimate manner? How would you step over in a violent way your brother? How would you outwit your brother when it comes to intimacy? And so scholars debate this. What exactly is Paul talking about here? And I don't know that there's ever been a conclusive answer in the mind of a scholarly debate, but it seems to be that half what Paul has in mind here is that maybe there were some members of the church there that thought it was no big deal maybe to have some relationships going between some of the married men and some of the women in the church. Maybe the daughters of some of the men in the church. Maybe it's between some of the sons and daughters of people in the church there. We can't be entirely certain what Paul has in mind here, other than the fact that Paul is tying this together with the idea of sexual immorality in the church. And he's saying, get rid of it. It shouldn't be there. You need to avoid it. Because God has set you aside as something special, something unique. And then Paul packs a punch. By saying any Christian that rejects the standard of, uh, of being a Christian, the standard of sanctification, the standard of avoiding sexual immorality, he says anyone who rejects this isn't just rejecting us or rejecting this teaching, but he says he's rejecting the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul says, you're not rejecting me or my teaching by rejecting the standard. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. And this is important. Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter is teaching on the day of Pentecost, he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is given as a down payment, an escrow account, really is how it ought to be translated, of the inheritance that you have. 
fact, a couple times in Ephesians, Paul uses that terminology of the Holy Spirit being a seal, marking us as sons of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that his spirit is working in us to call out our Father as sons of God. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is doing his sanctifying work in us. I believe saying that the Holy Spirit is there setting us aside or sealing us in God, so to speak, as saying this is God's person set aside for a special purpose. And so what Paul's saying here in 1 Thessalonians seems to be that when we reject sanctified lives, when we behave with sexual immorality in our lives, we're not just rejecting the teachings of man. We're not rejecting the teachings of the preacher. We're not rejecting the teacher, the teachings of our Bible school teacher. We're not rejecting everything mom told us that we ought to do. We're rejecting the Holy Spirit that marks us as gods. We're rejecting the Holy Spirit that marks us by the hand of God is saying, this is my vessel. I've set it here. I've set it aside because I have a special purpose for this person. I'm going to use this person to do my work. And when we act with sexual immorality, Paul says, what we're doing is we're rejecting that seal. We're saying, no, I, I don't need to be set aside. I don't need to have a special purpose. I'm going to use my body just like everyone else uses their body. And Paul says, guys, I'm writing you so that you can know how you ought to work. We come back to chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, we request and exhort you that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, then that's what you'll do. You know what commandment we gave you by the authority of Jesus, for this is the will of God. And I don't know what was happening in the church of Thessalonica, but I know that Paul seems to be concerned that they know how to transition from how they've been taught, how they've been raised, how that society had told them it's okay to do this. And Paul says, now you need to transition out of that and know that God has something else in mind for you. And so as we think about Christianity today and serving God today, and we think about our own society, that brings us to consider how we can live sanctified lives today. In our society, marital infidelity is still not considered to be expected or acceptable, I dare say. That's not to say it's not common. That's not to say it doesn't appear as acceptable in advertising and in uh, media and multimedia. The Christian may not ever be faced with temptations for actual adultery in his life or her life. But what's much more likely is the temptation to view adult material presented in that multimedia, in the internet, in those podcasts, video downloads, I was at a 
another church a good number of years ago. Cell phones were still new enough in their capability to download video, but this particular congregation had a joy bus ministry, and they had they brought in many kids, and, and we're sitting in BBS. And the youth minister caught some of the kids in BBS watching things on their phone. The capability that our society has now because of technology it makes this such a pervasive issue for us in our culture. The issue is real today and it's having devastating impacts on families in our culture and in our churches. But if we remember the principle that as a vessel I'm set aside for serving God, then I must abstain and avoid all forms of sexual immorality. Do you know what Paul said is again, as you look at verse 5, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. The issue is lust. Remember Jesus said, if a man looks at a so as to commit adultery with her in his heart, he has still committed <coughs> adultery. God doesn't want us to behave in that way. He wants us to have pure minds and he wants our bodies to serve him. What do we teach our sons? What do we teach our daughters about the value of a woman about the value of another individual. When they see us watching and looking and participating in those things, what are we teaching them? Are we teaching them God's goodness, God's purity, God's glory that he's given to his creation? And so as Christians, Christian dads, we need to do what we can to abstain from this part of our culture where it's all around us. Dads, be wise where you go. There was a book out a good number of years ago called The Point Man by Steve Farrar. He talks about his issues as a young man growing up and, and the fact that he knew which gas station to go to to get what he wanted to get. And the battle that he had to overcome. And he says, Dad, you know where you need to avoid them. On the internet, you need to avoid those sites. Sports Illustrated has some good sports material. But once a year, and on their website, there are things we ought not to see. Dads need to invest in good spam blocking. Because individuals who sell those types of images <coughs> like to lure you in if you don't have a good pop-up blocker. Keep your home PC in a high traffic area where your sons and your daughters won't be free to just watch whatever they want to watch. One good computer program is called NetNanny. You can download it, netnanny.com. And it helps you protect your children by controlling what they're able to access and alerting you if anything has been accessed. Fathers, you need to know your children's friends. 
and you need to know your children's friends' families. Are you able to name your child's best friend? Are you able to know what does my child's friend like to do? What are their hobbies? What kind of shows do they watch? What kind of video games do they talk about? What kind of websites do they talk about? And if there are things that are questionable in what your friend, your sons and daughters' friends are saying, then maybe you need to limit your child's exposure to that environment. Would you let your child remain in an environment of friends that engage in alcohol or drugs or violent activities? Or would you seek to limit their exposure to that in order to protect them? Sometimes we forget that our job as a parent is to raise my child to be a godly person. And they're not equipped, even until they're in their mid-twenties, to be able to withstand some of the things that our society will throw at them. And it's my job to protect them. It's my job to equip them. But until they get there, I have to protect them sometimes by removing them from those environments. But this can be difficult because the standard of our society says these things are okay. It's acceptable. It's just entertainment. It's just fantasy. It's not that big of a deal. But infidelity and unfaithfulness to the marriage was acceptable in Paul's day. And every Christian in that church in Thessalonica could have said the same thing to Paul. It's okay. It's acceptable. Everyone says it's fine. But it wasn't fine in Paul's day. And it's not fine today. How are the non-Christians in our lives going to react? If they know or if they learn that this person who's trying to teach me about Jesus is engaged in this type of behavior. And if I'm engaged in that type of behavior, then isn't that guilt sucking me down so that I can't go out and serve God anyway? And if God is setting me aside for a special purpose and I'm not able to accomplish that purpose because my life is full of sin and my life is full of guilt and I'm afraid of what the person is going to respond to me when I ask them for a Bible study because they know this is what my life is all about, then I'm not able to be that vessel that's set aside for something special. When my son or my daughter says, Dad, why are you looking at this? Why do you have these magazines? Why do you have this website? Am I able to be the vessel that God has set me aside as the one that he has set, given the responsibility of raising this soul to be a godly person? God wants us to use our body to accomplish his work. And Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, I know this is how you were raised. I know the society in which you dwell says this is acceptable, but it's not how God wants you to live. Walk in a manner that's worthy of Christ. And if Paul were here today, I'm sure that he would say something very similar to us as well. 
live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Manner of the worthy, the manner worthy of Christ. Dads have a special obligation to protect their families and to raise their families to be godly individuals. Be wise where you go. Know your children's friends and what they're into. Know the legacy you're going to leave for your sons and daughters. Because we all have a father who cares. And he wants us to be pure. And he wants us to be something special. <coughs> and he's calling you to be that something special. If there's anything that we can do to help you be that special person, to be that special person. Maybe you need to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism to get rid of the sin in your life. Or maybe you need the prayers of the church and the encouragement of the church to help you walk in that manner worthy that God wants us to walk. Whatever you need, once you come, together we stand inside.